Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Chris McKinney. Elizabeth McKinney. And we are on staff with Crew City in Columbia, Missouri, and also on staff at our church, The Crossing. And today we are blessed to have Elizabeth and Chris with us. They are, like they said, in Columbia, Missouri, working with Crew City and at The Crossing. And, and guys, thank you for being with us. They are also the authors of a book which has been featured uh, on the Gospel Coalition, and they have some wonderful endorsements as well. And all that said, guys, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks We're excited. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a little bit first about how, why, why Chris and Elizabeth are on here. But um, I met Elizabeth, I guess, was that 12 years ago now? You were just a baby. Yeah, fall of 2008 um, when I stepped foot onto University of Missouri's campus as a freshman. And at that time, you guys were on staff with campus, what was called Campus Crusade for Christ um, at the University of Missouri. So working with college students. Um, And Elizabeth shared the gospel with me. And that Starbucks sometime in the fall. Um, And from there on, like, man, spent five years discipling me and teaching me about the Bible and teaching me about Jesus. And so, um, so yeah, they, that's, that's the connection um, for, for those of you guys listening, how um, we got connected with them. And And don't um, get me crying at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, she's getting all misty-eyed over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but Chris and Elizabeth were um, super influential in my spiritual walk. Um, showed me a lot of, I mean, everything that I know about Jesus came from them. Um, and my daughter's named after, after Elizabeth. So um, they're incredibly special people. So really excited to have them on. I have benefited so much from their perspective of loving people um, wherever you're placed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in our context, that was, you know, campus ministry. But now you guys have transitioned out of that. Um, so tell us a little bit about what kind of a day in the life of Chris and Elizabeth look like and kind of what your purpose and your mission is um, for how you guys interact with your neighbors. Yeah, so we, uh, like you said, Maria, when you were there at Mizzou, we did campus ministry for 17 years. And um, let's see, it was about eight years ago we moved into our house um, that we live in right now. And um, it was a new neighborhood, and we were kind of drowning in um, life <laughs> with having kids. I was commuting to Covenant Seminary, directing the campus ministry. I was changing a lot of diapers. A lot of diapers. <laughs> and so we weren't looking for any extra ministry to do, but um, Elizabeth especially thought it'd be fun to, to get to know our neighbors. So we had a little fish fry on our driveway, and um, you know, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, we started to meet our neighbors, and we have a lot of fun. We started seeing a big community um, develop. Um, we we saw, you know, we started having block parties. Just just started enjoying it. wasn't even thinking about like what kind of ministry might this turn turn into. And so, uh, um, we we started to get to know our neighbors. We saw um, some neighbors come to Christ and join our small group. And um, we began thinking, man, I wonder if this could be a full time ministry focus for us. So three years ago, we switched from the campus ministry to neighboring. Um, and and so and a part of crew called Crew City. So the focus was more broad than just the campus. 
Yeah. But then even more narrow within that specifically neighboring. Yep. Yep. So we uh, we do neighborhood kind of ministry or in our neighborhood. So we help host events. We, we get to know people. We do some book discussions some Bible studies. We're also on staff at, a, at our church, The Crossing, where we lead the neighboring ministry there. And I try to connect with other churches here in Columbia. And then beyond that, we do virtual um, neighbor coaching is what we call it, where we talk to people who are trying to learn more about how to love their neighbor and reach out to them. And um, yet we just wrote and um, published this this book. It's kind of a, a book and small group resource called Place for a Purpose. Um, so we're also hoping to have that that broad influence as well. So, yeah, we're kind of figuring it out as we go. No one, We don't know a lot of people whose their full-time job is to help people love their neighbors. They're <laughs> literal next-door neighbors. So, um, right. Yeah, but, we always say we, we want to help people love their neighbors their actual neighbors yeah yeah. (laughs) so well i have a i have a lot of questions um in regards to just like you know yard wars and things like when you cut (laughs) their grass and they cut their grass but that's a whole nother whole nother place in in theology so let me let me ask steal that term from you i haven't heard that before yard wars well there you go that'll be in our next book and we'll we'll have to we'll have to cite you taylor yeah yeah feel free i'll just take a small commission um, the, uh, the, let me ask you this though, you know, moving into a new house, uh, my wife and I did that, uh, about six years ago now, and you, you move in and you see neighbors move in, um, you know, s- especially right now it's a political season. You see who, who puts up signs, who doesn't put up signs, who, um, you know, m- does mow their grass, who doesn't really care to, to do that sort of thing. And were you guys with that fish fry? Were you being in ministry intentional or were you guys just more just trying to be new neighbors and, and being a little bit ignorant, honestly? Um, and so were you being intentional or were you being more ignorant, do you think, in, in doing that fish fry and what that kind of spurred you on to be doing? I think for us, like Chris said, we came in with, with, the, with the deep sense that we needed our neighbors and also that we did want to really enjoy them. So we knew that some of the things that we had learned from the campus ministry, we were going to have to translate those those kind of principles. Um, We we like to affectionately refer to our time in the campus ministry as the microwave, where you get four short years with students and you see a lot of life change happen really quickly. And we knew with our neighbors that things were going to have to it was going to have to be more low and slow. So we like to call neighboring the, the crock pot. It's, it's that kind of slow cooking. And so I'd say, I don't know if we came in ignorant, but we definitely came in teachable and wanting to, wanting to, yeah, just translate those things and knowing that it was going to look different. No, that's, that's, fantastic and you know as you say low and slow my, my mouth begins to salivate for more of a smoked meat like ribs uh, barbecue yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris is a smoker oh okay yeah and by well, smoker I mean, we need to define yeah, smoker yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not a chain smoker <laughs> not a chain smoker um Let's clarify that n- not not that of the tobacco but yes. that of that of uh smoking meat yes, yes. so uh yeah but the low and slow process i think that's 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 really great now you guys are affiliated with the crossing you know there's a large church here in st louis with the crossing is there any affiliation with that? No. Uh-uh. Yep. Just um, they both are called the crossing. <laughs> I would say there's probably a closer connection with um, uh, Central Pres because that yeah. that helped plant the crossing. 
Central yeah. Presbyterian okay. in gotcha. Clayton helped plant the crossing. There we go. So, yeah. um, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, what, what has, I mean, culture and even just 2020 in general has been really challenging. Um, what have you guys seen as far as um, the shift and the change in how we even reach out to our neighbors? Because I'm going to be honest with you. My neighbors, the one across the street drives me crazy because they have like 17 different cars parked outside. Um, the ones next door to us are great, but it took us, I mean, we've lived there for six years. And it took us until this past Christmas to have dinner with them. Um, so talk to us about some of those challenges, some of the things that you guys see as far as what makes just the world that we live in, um, how it makes that challenging to interact with our neighbors. Yeah, um, I could start. So I think one of the things that we we learned is um, it, through kind of thinking about neighboring and, and writing our, our book is um, this idea of the non-neighbor and and trying to understand what what would put someone in the category of not a neighbor but a but a non-neighbor so even in the parable of the good samaritan you know you see the priest and the levite you know they had a chance to as jesus would say prove or become a neighbor to the man who was in the ditch but they decided to pass by so effectively they 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 weren't a neighbor they were a non-neighbor they were non-neighbors and and um and so when the samaritan they they saw they saw the man in the ditch as a non-neighbor. Right. So when the Samaritan comes, he stops and and helps and proves to be or becomes a neighbor. And so, I think one of the one of the things, especially in um, this culture that we're living in, it's it's very polarized, um, very divided, and and so the idea of saying how can I how can I prove or become a neighbor. Uh, to my literal next door neighbors who may be very different from me, maybe vote differently than me, look differently than me, um, keep up their yard in different ways than me. So instead of keeping them in that non-neighbor category, trying to trying to bring them in and become a neighbor uh, to them. And so that's one thing that I think is important to think about, like who in my neighborhood is a non-neighbor and what steps could I take um, whether it's it's not judging them uh, for things that you see them do or maybe not believing the hype that they've got their lives all together, but realizing that, you know, there's probably aspects of their lives that uh, are great and there's aspects of their lives that are broken because we're all broken. And so seeing those intention. And I think going back to 20 years ago when we joined staff with crew, when you think about what it meant to have a spiritual conversation. I think about even even sitting down with you in Starbucks. Yeah. The the types of spiritual conversations that we had early on in our years in ministry look so different now. I mean, for one, because the culture has changed. For two, and and then also because we're in adult ministry now. We're working with our peers. But some of those cultural shifts, you just can't assume the same the same things from a non-believer i mean their their views on what sin is their views on the bible their views on who jesus is and was i think there's just so many objections that our culture has now to to the person of christ and and christianity and there's so much um uh just hostility there and um I, i i think for a lot of people Instead of just hearing 
a more formal gospel presentation, although we need we need those too. We also have to have lots of of other types of conversations and kind of broaden our idea in a way of what a spiritual conversation even is. Like for some of these people who <clears throat> we may not think we have a lot of common ground with our neighbors. Like like, like you were saying, Taylor, we maybe we vote differently or we see um, we see the things that we don't have in common. It, I think it's really important that we build those bridges to find common ground and then bring bring them in in a sense to um, allow them to kind of try Christianity on for size. Like most people aren't going to hear nowadays hear a gospel presentation and just okay, I'm I'm all in. Um, a lot of people, it's it's that low and slow process of hearing it, hearing the gospel. Um, latent in our conversations like c.s lewis would say you know we 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 don't need more um books on christianity by christians we need more books by christians on other things like Mm -hmm. politics the arts education work and so having their christianity woven in yeah yeah yeah. and so Mm -hmm. having those conversations with your with your next door neighbor, like um, kind of creating the better story. How is my faith impacting the fact that I'm struggling with online virtual school and right. our lives are totally upside down? Where does God yeah. enter into that? And, and identifying as a Christian, self-identifying as a Christian and saying, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of anger and frustration and right. I've had to kind of wrestle with God about that right. um, and kind of explain how does my faith impact what I'm going through right now? So yeah. you guys mentioned culture shifts. There's a there's a comedian that I'm not able to recommend on this podcast that I've seen uh, before. But one of the things that he, he has a stand-up bit um, that's decently clean about, um, you know, what it used to be like when neighbors knocked on your door 20 years yeah. ago to today. I, and, and he jokes about this, you know, somebody knocked on your door 20 years ago. Everybody ran to the door. They opened I, it. You invited them in. You were excited. Today, everybody ducks. They hide behind couches. Parents are like, get just down. Just look and, on your phone. I just look on my phone. Yeah, to right. If I need to answer the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but it's like so different. Like you're like, why is somebody at my door versus like the excitement of somebody being at your door, right? Right. There's so much suspicion. Right. Yeah. So much suspicion. And, and there's so much uh, – there's so many walls that are put up. And some of that is because uh, in history we, we've talked – there's a, there's a whole theory within uh, historiography, frankly, of – you know, the front porch has, has been eliminated from homes. Uh, television's yep. done that. AC's done that. We, we've we've gone mm-hmm. inward. Obviously, we, we've seen that more and more technology that's been entered into our lives, the less and less we've been out within our neighborhood. And so to hear you guys say, yeah, we're really intentional to do that is, is fantastic. Let me ask you this. Taking all of that into consideration, can you give some example of these culture shifts? And, and, what, and let me rephrase that. Can you give example of how worldviews have shifted? Because it's not just been a culture shift in the way that we've engaged neighbors. It's really been a worldview shift in the way that we engage fellow image bearers. And so how can you kind of, uh, I guess, unpack that in the way that your ministry is is beginning to explore that? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So there was a, a really interesting um, study done by the Harvard School of Medicine. I think it was about 2008 where they found um, data from a social um, survey done in the 50s and 60s. And the question was, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? 
So you're supposed to list off the things. And it was everything that you just mentioned. You know, you're friendly. You introduce yourself. You're able to introduce your, the new neighbors to other neighbors down the street. You, you bring a pie when the people move in. If you're, if you're in trouble or in need, you can drop your kids off and, and, and take care of the emergency. And so then in 2008, they sent out kind of a similar survey and asked, what is the definition? What does it mean to be a good neighbor? And basically the results came back and, and it, they summarized it by saying, basically leave people alone. Like take your trash out well and um, keep the noise down. Keep the noise down and, and stay out of people's business. And okay, so, sadly, that is my definition of a good neighbor. Like, I, and yeah. I, I'll, I'll just be transparent and say that's exactly my definition. Yeah. And so if you think about, okay, so if that's the culture that we're living in, that's the story that we're in and we don't even realize it, mm. you know, that we're going to live out of that. But, you know, I think that the, that God, you know, in the story that he's writing and, and, you know, that we is inviting us to live out of is one of, you know, seeing ourselves as placed for a purpose, seeing ourselves as drawn out of um, our isolation and, and into loving our neighbors and interacting with them and realizing being a good neighbor isn't leaving people alone. Like, Leaving people alone is is not good. We we've seen all the research on the loneliness and isolation, and it's killing us. You know, and and that's because we're not created to be alone. We're created for relationships, and who better to have relationships with than the people who live right next door? So we have to we have to we have to kind of get out of that cultural story and that definition and say, okay, based on what God's story of redemption, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Well, sees being a good neighbor is I'm here that my, my address isn't an accident and neither is my neighbors and something's going on here. And I want to be open and available to, to, to seeing what God might do through just tiny, tiny acts, a wave, a smile, a short conversation, just in being open, open to that. Yeah, that's convicting. <laughs> Um, and I, I mean, I enjoy one of my neighbors, you know, and it is, um, it feels awkward if I'm honest, it feels awkward to strike up a conversation. And Mike, my, my husband is much better at having conversations with our neighbors than I am. Um, because I just feel so awkward and kids have helped with that, right? Kids kind of create like a natural conversation, a natural Mm -hmm. barrier. But, um, you know, one of the things you guys said a few minutes ago, kind of thinking through that crock pot low and slow one of the things that that is our mission here is that every child is known and loved and that's what keeps coming to mind as we talk about our neighbors is how can we know them how can we love them um which is very different from what our culture tells us to do right and it's awkward <laughs> I, think, I think that's one of the biggest obstacles. I mean, when you think about the, the picture that we've painted about someone ringing the doorbell and everybody hiding and that those feelings of suspicion, the obstacles are great. We, we have to overcome those obstacles and kind of move past some of those, the, those ways of thinking. Um, but... I think part of it, too, is we have a view of home as being a place where we just, at the end of the day, we just want to come home. We're in survival mode. We want to hunker down and escape. We want to get our, we we think that turning our phones on and turning the TV on, if we can just get to Netflix then then we'll be able to recharge and rest and have the refreshment that we that we need and we don't necessarily see our neighbors as part of God's means of grace in our lives to refresh us and restore us I mean I think about for, it's 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 not just for them 
you know, with, like, it's not like, oh, I just need to be a good neighbor for all those people that need me. It's like, I mean, our neighbors, it, it's like a, it is a known fact that we need them more than they need us. It is, it yeah, is. I see a struggle quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, our neighbors have been one of God's biggest gifts and, and, and means of grace in our lives to provide for us, to refresh us. To sharpen us, yeah. And I even think we've had conversations right now, you know, with the coronavirus and, and quarantine. It's been hard. And right. and so we've been like, we're struggling. And so how like what do we show our neighbors? Do we do we show them like this like we've got this, like God is our hope and we're gonna be just fine. I'm Which, surviving and thriving. Right. And it's <laughs> like, you know, yes, like God is our hope, but but in the moment we're struggling. And so we've been just like, listen, we're, we're going to give our neighbors just who we are right now in the moment. Give them us. Give them us. And, and a lot of that's been a lot of struggle. And, and we've been, yeah. And so I just think but like. Then sharing, but then yeah. sharing like how God is meeting us in grief or disappointment or like he said, like anger. Um, we're not left alone to those things. Um, but we're not trying to offer them this. Yeah, thriving Christian. Like, they're going to see us just killing it over here, and that's going to be what draws them to Jesus. It's like, no, they're going to see our brokenness and our need for Christ, and hopefully, um, you know, that will draw them to who Christ is. And I I think that's a big shift in worldview from even thinking, um, you know, the generations that came before us this the millennials um which is what i am taylor is like we value that authenticity and we want that um and i see that in our kids like you can't you can't pull something over on them they're not going to trust you if you're not honest with them um and that's that's what i see you know anytime we interact interact with these kids here that's what we see. They want us to be real. They want us to be honest. Um, and to clarify, I am a millennial, but I identify as a baby boomer. So, <laughs> Sorry, let's clarify. Um, uh, yes, very, very much. Yes. Well, let, let me say, I was on a Zoom call uh, the other day with some heads of school, and we we had a moderator, uh, Mia Embro, who's in uh, Dallas, and she's a counselor, and um, she she was really stirring us up over courageous conversations. And a lot of this had to do with race and, and equality and things like that. But one of the things, uh, she's a strong believer, but she, she really said two things to us. You need to be informed and aware, and you need to be curious. And she was saying that the sh- being informed, the shakiness begins when we feel ill-equipped. Like we, we, if, so if we're not informed, we're going to feel ill-equipped, and we're going to go into something um, – basically not feeling competent to, to go and talk to a neighbor. And then she was saying, but the best thing you can do to, to combat that is to be curious. And so I, I would be curious to, frankly, to ask your opinion of that and, and what you guys have experienced when you feel ill-equipped or you feel discomfort. Um, how have you been curious to go and pursue that neighbor, uh, especially at, at times when you're like, oh, this one's going to be risky? Yeah, that's good. So one of the things I think a big obstacle to being curious is that people aren't even open. Like we believe that people don't even want to have a spiritual conversation with us. It's easy to get kind of um, to believe that 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 lie. And um, Cruise City, the, the, the organization we work with, 
um, recently did kind of this big nationwide survey and different cities, different, you know, age groups, ethnic groups, the whole thing. And, and they basically were asking, what would it take for you to want to engage with a Christian over spiritual things? And so they compiled all the research and they found that 82% of non-believers would be willing to have a spiritual conversation with a Christian if they could do five things. They found that these five things would make them um, be open and willing to have a spiritual conversation. And um, the first one was to be present and listen. So follow the conversation, ask good questions. We're not trying to direct the conversation to a a certain place and be present, right? Like get off our phones, like look people in the eyes, right? Um, Walk in their shoes So understand the person's story, really do some work and try to understand where are they coming from and how is that shaped who they are today. Find common ground. So that's kind of the the curiosity could come there. Like for me, when I'm talking to a neighbor that I don't know very well, I'm just like, I'm like asking questions and just trying to see, is there anything that we could connect over? And once I find that, I just, I kind of go all in on that part of the conversation and, and it's really enjoyable. Um, talk like a real person. So don't use words I can't understand, spiritual words that I can't understand. And then the last one is create a better story. And we were kind of talking about this, which is how does God relate to my life right now? Um, and so the, the non-believers didn't, didn't, they didn't believe Christians could actually do these things. Um, but they said if they could, they're, they're, they're more than willing to have a spiritual conversation. So I think just believing that like people want to have a spiritual conversation. They want to talk about deep things. We just, we need to approach them. And, and these things aren't rocket science. Like this is just normal. Some of it's just normal courtesy. Um, and so I think removing that barrier of like people really don't want to talk about that could help us um, um, be curious and engage with them. And another thing too, or do you want to speak to like, like when we feel like we're not equipped, like removing the word just, and just seeing like the small steps. Right. Well, I think, yeah, just coming in and and, in validating ourselves from the very beginning when we say, Oh, it's just, it's just a wave. It's just, it's just a block party. It's just a dinner. It's just, I mean, what could God possibly do? It's just, it's just a conversation in our driveway or whatever it is, we, we're undermining the, the, that is the means that, that God uses to work in our lives. Those small, ordinary acts, I think as most of us look back in our lives and we think about how God worked, it, it's often not in these huge fireworks ways. I mean, there, there are sometimes those things in our lives, but often it's just through small ordinary conversations and, and, and kind of going back to that low and slow. So I think by, by taking out the word just and, and, and removing that and, and, and thinking in our neighboring more in terms of kind of like the mustard seed, like the, the mustard seed, Jesus called the smallest of seeds. And yet here it grows into something that provides shade and, and, and rest for the, for the birds of the air. I mean, what if we, were to reimagine what God could do in our neighborhoods through just little tiny mustard seed interactions. And what if you were to provide incredible community for these people where they could kind of try on Christianity for size in a way and imagine themselves walking with God. I mean, Tim Keller talks a lot about that, how non-believers have to actually imagine this working for them. They have to be around people who can talk politics they can talk 
Um, they can talk about parenting. They can talk about the things that they're interested in and they have to be able to imagine it working out suffering, you know? Um, and so I think for us neighboring, when, when you, when you validate those things and you, and you see how those, those small ordinary acts fit into God's big kingdom work, it really invigorates you. It's like, oh, this is important stuff here. And in some ways frees you because you don't have to be somebody else. Like you can right. just be who, and you can, who you, you can are. Be your, yeah, exactly. Like Elizabeth is way more um, extroverted, loves to throw a good party. I am way more introverted. I, I would rather talk to the same three people, you know, over and over again. And so what's fun about, about neighboring and, and even with your kids, like what do they like to do? Getting them involved. It's not a one size fits all. Like I, I get to neighbor out of my, who I am. I don't have to be the life of the party. I don't have to be mixing it up with, you know, all these different neighbors. I can do some other things in neighboring and, and stuff too. It, it, it just, it is, it, it's really like, how's God wired you? What are you interested in and seeing if you can use that to, to reach out to your neighbors. Well, let's go to a second for kids since, um, you know, we're here at a school and our mission is, um, is to see, see kids, um, and their hearts be nurtured, educated, and then equipped to be Christians, um, in the world. And knowing that you guys have four girls, um, Uh what have, what have you done as a family to help them understand what it looks like to be a neighbor? what it looks like to love the people next door. Well, our, in the back of our, our book, when we um, go through our acknowledgements, we um, talk about the kids and we talk about how even though they leave their bikes all over the place, their scooters are everywhere, their socks are sometimes in the neighbor's driveways. <laughs> We're like, you know, you guys are really good neighbors because you love people well and i'm not saying that's an excuse to not put your put your um, pick up your socks and um, put your stuff away because we we struggle sometimes with that but um i think our kids have just grown up learning to relate to people who might be really different um they've had we haven't tried to bubble wrap them and say okay we're only going to play with the people who go to our church. We're only going to talk to the people who think like us. They've grown up being around people who um, have different religious beliefs, different ethnic backgrounds, different, uh, all the things. And so I think what's really exciting is I think about our kids, instead of them growing up and being in college and all of a sudden started starting to think about mission in terms of this thing way out there, it's like, hopefully our kids will have grown up their whole lives. Their mission has been right here. And, and I mean, we can expand that and we can, we can, um, it, it can grow from there, but I, I, I don't want them to have a limited view of missions as something that someone does really far away. Yes, that's true too. And we've, we've both done overseas missions and, um, and support overseas missions, but I also want our kids to grow up seeing themselves as missional wherever God's placed them. So one, another thing, I mean, this is just really simple, and we don't do this every night, but I try to remember when we pray with them is, is in our prayers at night with them, we pray that, you know, our neighbors would come to know Jesus and follow him, you know, just over and over, and, and they pray that too. So that's just another little thing. It's just putting that on their radar that we want our neighbors to, to come to know Jesus and follow him. And, um, yeah, just 
trying to, I mean, we've had our, our, our kids have asked um, some of their neighbor friends if they'd want to come to, you know, the kids club stuff or um, there's just, yeah, ways like that. But it's just talking about the neighbors, it's praying for them, having them over. Um, well, one of, one of our neighbors, she, she was telling me one day we were outside and she said, well, Ginger's been asking me if I'd been teaching the kids about God and teaching them the Bible. And I was just kind of like covered my face in my hands. And I was like, what'd you say? And she's like, I told them, no, I'm not. But you, you have been, and they've been listening to you and um, kind of like keep doing it or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly how she phrased it. But I'm kind of like peeking out of my fingers through, like peeking out, looking at her. I'm like, is it okay? And I mean, but it's like there's so much trust and there have been so many deposits in that relationship. It's not seen as like this threatening thing when Ginger starts basically expositing the, the Bible to, you know, these her friends. I mean, it's like it's okay. And there's there's. Uh, it's almost winsome. They know that they know that they're not our projects. Right. Yeah. We love them, as people. We care for them. We have ultimate motives that they come to know Jesus and follow Him. But but we're not, that's like we're going to enjoy every step in the way and care and enjoy them as people. And, and we're not going to drop them if they're not like the spiritual snapshot at yeah. this point in time is that they're not interested. We're not going anywhere. But I think yeah. they they also know that we want them to absolutely know the Lord. You know. Yeah. That's helpful. So at last question, you guys have worked with young ones um, being parents. You've worked with college-age kids. Now you're doing adult ministry. What challenge would you give to our parents to say, hey, as, as we've worked with the spectrum now um, of age groups, how would you challenge our parents to prepare their own children to be good neighbors Hmm. That's a good question. That is a good question. I mean, I think a great a great place to start is just that your address is not a mistake or an accident. So kind of instilling in your kids the reality of God's sovereign kind of plan and, and where he places you and who he puts you around. So um, when you're here in your neighborhood in our houses, the, the people who live next door to us, there's a reason they're there and that we're here. God is, has a plan for that. When they go off to college, you know, who's living next door to them in their dorms or in their sorority or fraternity houses. Like that's not an accident. God is, God is at work and he wants to work through them. And so just kind of instilling that curiosity of, okay, here I am. Okay. These are the people around me. These are the people in my study group. This is the people in my class. Like, What's God doing? What, where, where could he be up uh, at work? What's he up to? And, and freeing them up to, to, to just take those small steps, remove the word just, uh, and, and just take those little faith-filled steps. And I think, too, kids can sometimes be more risk-takers than mm-hmm. we are as adults. Like I mentioned, Definitely. Ginger, having these spiritual conversations, and I was kind of like, ooh, is it okay? You know, um, and I had had spiritual conversations with her before and I knew her background so even more I was kind of like okay I I felt out of control knowing that well not knowing what my child had said and I think the the Lord really convicted me of that and said hey let let your kids let them take risks too and we we talk about how it's important to match the spiritual pace at which your neighbor is walking or running or whatever it is and so I think 
for your kids, we, we, we can coach our kids in that same way. And when, if, if they're kind of taking steps and making themselves a little vulnerable, if they invite someone to church or if they want to give someone a Bible or if they, if they want to have a conversation about God to not stifle that and then to coach them and say, okay, is this person responding in the same way that we think about responding to a neighbor's pace? So you don't want to be like running way ahead or walking way behind, but you want to kind of run and step and then drop that hanky, so to speak, kind of like pick up the pace a little bit, see if they'll run a little faster with you. We can coach our kids in that too. And the last thing I would say is neighboring, it, it's fun. Like, with, especially with kids, man, kids, there's things that you can do with your neighbors that kids will love. Like Halloween's coming up. So you could, we, what we do is we boo our neighbors. And so you leave a little basket of, of candy and, and fun things and, and you put a note up and you get to run up and drop it off and run into the van and say, you've been booed by one of your neighbors. And so, so why, why not like get five baskets, pick five neighbors, pray before you do that as a family that, that our neighbors would experience God's love through these baskets and that it would lead to more conversations. You get to do it as a family. You come back like you're you're getting to do missions with your kids in your neighborhood and showing them that like you don't have to go somewhere else to do this. You can do this right here. And, and it kind of shapes their view of well, like anything. The, the bite of the world event that we did. Sorry, I kind of cut you off. Um, but I was I was just thinking about how you said it's it's fun and you're exposing them to, to different loving people. Well, we did a bite of the world, like an international dinner with our neighbors. And here we thought we lived in white suburbia and come to find out as over the years, we started noticing, no, there's a lot of people from different ethnic backgrounds. So we have neighbors who are Chinese. We have neighbors who are um, from India. We have neighbors who are from Argentina. And so we we asked a friend of ours or a neighbor of ours who's from India if she'd be willing to help organize this event. And so basically all these neighbors, and we discovered there were people from Egypt. There were people from um, where else? China, Brazil, Israel. Right. Um, Bulgaria. Right. And they, they, they all came together and we, we did an event where people brought these huge dishes that represented their cultural heritage. And then everyone, um, had like basically a bite of each part of the world. Well, our kids loved it. You kind of think like, oh, our kids are just going to want chicken fingers and mac and cheese, but they tried (laughs) these little bites from all over. And then, um, this past Thanksgiving, we did what's called a neighbor's giving, where we selfishly invited um, some of our, our neighbors who are from India over. And we said, OK, we'll we'll have leftovers and you bring your leftovers, knowing their their leftovers were going to be way better than our like turkey and mashed potatoes. But, um, but yeah, it was it's like our kids got to are they're getting to experience that, too. Like he said, it, um, I think that's a big part of it is making it fun, too. And it is fun. Yeah, those are great, great, easy examples, too. I definitely think of you guys always around Halloween um, and just how much you, you guys love that. Um, and Millie is obsessed with Halloween right now. So um, I'm She's looking forward to, to that. I know, right? Um, you know, as you guys were talking, just one more thing, um, wrapping up here. But, um, you know, I think one of the ways that you guys impacted me so much, Elizabeth, I remember cooking, you teaching me how to sear chicken. Um, in your your apartment um, or in your condo before y'all moved into your house. Um, And when you talk about those little deposits, I have no idea what we talked about that day. Um, But it it was uh, the the way that you showed the gospel to me was in very much where I was 
and what I needed at that time. It wasn't about sitting down and opening the Bible. We did that at times, but um, it was much more meeting me where I was, when I was, um, and walking through that time of my life with me. Um, So it's encouraging um, to remember that we can still do that even as adults. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, well, and I'm not sure how well I knew how to sear a chicken. <laughs> like Chris can grill chicken a lot better than I can sear it in a pan. But, yeah. Well, um, now I've yeah. I've grown to be able to now reverse sear um, on the smoker. Ooh. So yeah, there it's a uh, it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. When but, the student becomes the teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Um, uh, thank you guys for joining very us very much. Um, it's yeah, great, great to talk in. Um, where can they find um, Placed for a Purpose? Yep, it's on Amazon. So if you go and search it, Placed for a Purpose. And then our website is placedforapurpose.com. And we actually have um, a couple places where you can click and sign up for neighbor coaching. So if anybody wants to talk more, we love, as you can tell, talking neighboring. Uh, we'll Zoom call with you and um, do whatever we can to help you begin thinking about reaching out to your next door neighbors mm-hmm. awesome thank you guys thank you, thank you. Absolutely.